0: So today is what we would consider call we call it Palm Sunday, and what it signifies is over two thousand years ago, this marks the beginning of the last week of jesus life in fact uh, it 's very familiar throughout all the gospels that on this day well over two thousand years ago Jesus arrives to Jerusalem for what will seem like the very last time. In fact, His disciples have told Him, hey, we we can't go back there because they're coming for you. They they want to kill you. And I think for some, when they say they want to kill you, what they really mean is, hey, they kind of want to kill me because I'm with you. And there's this, this beautiful scene that one of my favorite lines out of all, from all the disciples comes from Thomas. He gets kind of a bad rap because later, in, uh, after the resurrection, we, we now dub him Doubting Thomas. Because when they say, hey, Jesus has come back from the dead, he says, I, I won't believe it until I actually see it. And so we call him Doubting Thomas. But But in this moment, right before Jesus and his disciples come back to Jerusalem, and, and they say, hey, they, don't you know they're trying to kill you? And Jesus says, we're going, because it's the will of my Father. And then Thomas says this, this incredibly beautiful line. He says, alright, let us go that we may die with Him. So as they're approaching Jerusalem, there's a moment in one of the Gospels where Jesus looks at this city, the city, the city of God's chosen people, and he begins to weep and he begins to lament because his heart is breaking for these people who he knows in just a few short days will concoct a plan for his execution. And he doesn't weep for them because of he's afraid of dying. He weeps for them because he knows Their sin is running rampant. So on Palm Sunday, Jesus enters into town on on a donkey. There's There's beautiful symbolism of a king riding a donkey. If a king was going to war, he would ride in on a steed, on a war horse. And yet Jesus rides on a donkey, which wasn't uncommon for kings to do, because in times of peace, that's how they would go about their their travels. So as Jesus arrives, people start to take notice because this is a significant time of the year. It's the Passover celebration, so so people are coming from all around uh, the, the the countryside to take part in the Passover celebrations and. And they've known about Jesus. Some have heard Jesus speak to them. Some have seen Jesus perform miracles. They have heard Jesus try to explain the heart of the Father to them. And as a crowd assembles and people start to say, Jesus is here, Jesus is here, there's some that that take these palm branches. This is why we call it Palm Sunday. They take these palm branches and they lay them on the ground. An entry fit for a king. And then they will shout, Hosanna! Hosanna! It means our Savior's here. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And if we were to finish the story there, it would seem to be pretty good, right? Very sinful, idiotic people doing a really good thing. But what happens between this Sunday and next Sunday is terribly important for our hearts to get around. Terribly important for us to stop and meditate. And if you are found in Christ, to celebrate. And if you are not found in Christ, to take notice. We're... On our Wednesday nights in our student groups, I have the privilege of of walking through the Gospel of John with with our students, and and the format that we have is is really pretty simple. We we take a chapter, we divvy it up in pairs, and we'll read a, each group will read a section of that chapter, and then we'll have a, a summary, and then they'll bring a question to the table for the group to discuss, and it's been it's been incredible not uh, just the discussions but 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 it's been incredible to hear our group kind of recap the chapters that we've been going on and i would say ironically enough but i don't think it's ironic i don't think it's coincidence that this past wednesday night we were in john chapter 19 and what happens in john 19 is the crucifixion of Jesus. And it's, it's one thing for us to, to read the Bible and, and to know what happened in it. And it's, it's another thing altogether to know what's happening in these words. So what I want to do this morning, is I want to take us through John 19, and I'll I'll do my very best to, to try to get out of the way of the verses. Um, but if you know me, you'll know that's kind of hard for me to do at times. But what's been happening really since John 14 is Jesus is, is trying to help His, his disciples have this, this laser lock focus. He, he tells them life is about to change in dramatic ways. He tells him, I'm about to go from you. In fact, we're, we will take part here uh, in, in uh, communion, and it originates from this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples uh, in an upper room. And he will say, Hey, he'll take the bread and he'll break it, and he'll say, This is my body that's broken for you. And then he'll take some wine and he'll say, uh, Drink it. This is the blood that's being poured out for you. And, and it sounds very bizarre to people who don't understand or don't know of what this simple act of bread and juice symbolizes. So as we make our way through the Last Supper experience, we see some beautiful things. We see Jesus talking to His disciples. It's one of my favorite places in all the Bible. And then they'll leave there and they'll go to a garden where Jesus will pray, and I, John is my favorite of the gospel writers. Uh, not that I'm asking you to defend Matthew or Mark or Luke, you know, because you're wrong and I'm right because I have the mic. Um, but, but Jesus will go to the garden and and he will pray what's considered the high priestly prayer, and in it he he prays for for God to be glorified through him. Then he prays that God will be glorified through. His disciples. And then He prays that God would be glorified through the people who would come to know Him after the cross. So we can, before I read you John 19, you need to understand this, that Jesus went to the Father on your behalf. That when He prays this prayer in the garden, if you are found in Christ, He prays it for you. He prays that you would know the incredible love of God. That you would understand the incredible sacrifice of His Son. And that your lives would be more about more than just about what your job is, and where you live, and who you know. But that we would live with a purpose. We would live with an urgency. And then... If you know the gospel account, right after this prayer, a mob shows up, and they come to arrest him, and it's led by one of the disciples, Judas, who has sold him out. But none of this catches God or Jesus off guard. They know exactly what's at play here. So they arrest him and then they take him. Basically, Jewish court. They bring up false accusations. They move them from the high priest to the father in law of the high priest's house, back to the high priest's house. And, and if you read the Gospels, you find that where Jesus was a nuisance to some, that eventually grew to frustration, to anger, to now the only thing that they believe they can do to defend God is to kill Jesus. But the Jews are stuck because they're not allowed to kill anybody. And so they take them before Pilate, who is essentially a governor, a representative of Caesar, because in Jerusalem, the Jewish people aren't their own people. In fact, they're occupied... By Rome. So they bring him before Pilate and, and what we find out is that Pilate really didn't have a cause to punish Jesus. He didn't really have a desire to get into the middle of this family matter, it seemed like. But yet he fears a couple of things. He fears a riot breaking out. He fears word getting out to, to Caesar, that he's not able to lead his people. He's not able to govern them well. So chapter, verse 1 of chapter 19 starts with this. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Okay, and I, I told you I'd try to stay out of the way of these verses, but you've got to stop there. Okay? because we don 't have a proper view of what a flogging is. anybody done a flogging this week? No, okay, good Flogging was it was a beating and then some. The flogging was part of it involved not just humiliation but but extreme. Extreme punishment. Part of it involved, and we, we've probably seen this if you've if you've watched the Jesus story, if you've watched the Passion of the Christ. It's a horrific scene. I know we have kids, so I'm gonna to try to dampen some of that down, but But part of it involved being Tied up. Now there's there's debate over how this would have happened for Jesus. Some believed that he would have been bound and placed against a pole. Some believed that he would have been tied down, hunkered over a, a rock. Either way, he's completely defenseless and fully exposed. And they would take this whip called the cat of nine tails, and at the end of it of these leather strips were were these pieces of like lead, balls, and then bone. And what they would do is they would whip you. And with each whip, they would tear away the flesh of your back. And that's going to come in significant here in just a little bit. They would tear away... In fact, they did it in such a way that that the Jewish people learned... That forty was too much. Thirty nine was just enough to almost keep the, to keep the guy alive. The Romans, they would use it as a um, they would they would use it as a precursor for a crucifixion. And they had unlimited, so sometimes if you just died there, ah, saves them from having to crucify you. But the Jews, they they realize, okay, if you could just keep them, you can punish them just enough to where they could still carry their cross, then all would be satisfied. And and so so Pilate, in this moment, he says, he says, I don't know what to do. I don't really want to kill him. Maybe if I just flog him, when they see the results of that, their hearts will relent. But they don't. So it says, Pilate took Jesus and flogged him and the the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him and saying, Hail the King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And so Jesus said, came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And the chief priests, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I, I find no guilt in him. And, and the Jews answered him, We have a law. We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered his headquarters again, and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And so so Pilate said to him, "You you, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you, you, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Talking about the Jews. And from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. And everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So he's in a, Pilate's in a spot. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and he sat down on the judgment seat at a place uh, called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic Gabatha, Or Gabatha. It doesn't matter. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. So right now in this scene, it's about noon. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king." And they cried out, Away with Him! Away with Him! Crucify Him! And Pilate said to Him, Shall I crucify your King? And the chief priest answered, We have no King but Caesar. And in this moment, they're fully exposed. Because our hearts aren't the fa- with the Father. Their hearts are with themselves. So He delivered Him over to be crucified. So they took Jesus and He went out and bearing His own cross to the place called the Place of the Skull in Aramaic called Golgotha. And there they crucified Him with with two others, one on either side. That's the the famous image of the three crosses on the hill. And Pilate, he, he wrote an inscription and he put it on the cross and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, and many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, as if they wouldn't have traveled across the world to see this. And it was written in Aramaic and in Latin and in Greek. And so the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate looks at him and says, What I have written, I have written. Verse 23, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took His garments and they divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless and it was woven in one piece from the top to the bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but let's cast lots for it to see whose shall it be. And this was to fulfill a scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and my clothing, they, they cast lots. And, and if you're looking for a, a, a verse or a psalm, for instance, that paints this picture beautifully, you can spend some time this weekend in Psalm 22. So it says, the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, sister Mary, the wife of, of Clopas, and, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which is John, who's writing these words, when he saw John standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother, and from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. And after this, Jesus, knowing that that all was now finished, he said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. And so they, they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and they held it, to his mouth and when Jesus had received the sour wine he said it is finished so the question is what was finished he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit but what was finished in that moment was the payment was the atonement of our sin of our sin. Not His. He had none. Of our sin. For the sins of those who are responsible for putting Him on that cross. For the sins of you and me. For our selfishness and our hatred and our lust and our desires that are anything but God's. It is finished. And since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they may be taken away. Because here's the thing about the crucifixion. It was an incredibly painful torture where you literally would suffocate. Your your arms would try to hold up the weight. You would try to push yourself up with your feet so you could gasp for a breath. and You could only hold that so long and eventually you'd slump and, and you would stay there long enough that you would die. But there's a problem because they need these guys gone before the sun goes down because it's the Passover, it's the Sabbath. So they ask if they could break their legs to speed up the torture. But when they came to Jesus and saw that He was already dead, they they did not break His legs, but but one of the soldiers pierced His side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water and, and He who saw it has bore witness and His testimony is true and He knows that He is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another Scripture says, they will look on Him whom they have pierced. And after these things, Joseph of Arithmethea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly... For fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. And so he came and he took his body away. It says Nicodemus also. If you say that that name sounds familiar, and go back to John chapter three, Nicodemus comes in the cover of night to ask Jesus a question: How how can I be born again? And and in that conversation we have possibly the most famous of all, or most recognizable, I should say, of all the verses in the Bible, because it's in those verses that Jesus looks at him and he says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then I think verse 17 doesn't get proper credit where its due Because in verse 17, Jesus explains the heart of the Father, explains why he's arrived. He says, God didn't send his Son to condemn the world, but to save the world. So Nicodemus, also, who earlier came to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. And so, so they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen cloths and with spices as the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where He was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been laid. And so because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So we, we come today to remember. There's a, a verse in, in Isaiah 53. I think Lawson's going to pull it up for you. So as we remember, the question is, what, what do we remember? And it's this. But He was pierced for our transgressions. Okay? So what is that? Because he's going to say he was crushed for our iniquities and and I know that there's a game we like to play, right? Which sin is bigger than the last sin or better yet, which sins aren't that big of a deal? So transgression is is, is simply this, it's it's knowingly doing something. If if I have a neighbor who puts a no trespassing sign in his yard and I see it and yet I trespass, that's a transgression. I, I knowingly am committing this. It says He was pierced for our transgressions, our trespassing against God's heart, God's law. He was crushed for our iniquities. And iniquity is a distortion, an unrepentant heart, a distortion of God's law of saying that's not what God really said, so therefore I don't have to abide by it. It's those, those little justifications that we have to indulge in sin and yet not repent. It says, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. So a complete and a perfect sacrifice on our behalf to restore what sin has broken in us with the Father. This is where we are, right? In First in John, as we've been traveling through these, these verses in 1 John that, that, that He's letting us know. same guy who wrote John 19 is letting us know that, hey, God loves you. God is light. God has revealed to you the best way to live, not to keep you out of darkness, not to keep fun things from you, but to show you what life with Him looks like. And it culminates in the cross of Christ. So we come to stop and to remember. We remember that it was Him who brought us peace. Not us. So the way this will work is, is we, have, we have two communion stations here. You're welcome to choose either one, whichever line is shorter, that's what I would do. You'll pull off just a small piece of bread and you'll take a juice cup and you'll go back to your seat. We'll all partake together. But in that time, after I pray for us and y'all begin to uh, grab the elements, here's here's two things I'd like you to be thinking about. Have I given my life to Christ. Not did I show up to a VBS when I was six and walk down an aisle. Not I have casually will pursue Christ. Have you given your life to Him? Have you asked Him to be not just your Savior but your Lord? To show you how to live in health and in joy and in peace. In goodness. It's really easy to find out if, if you haven't really given your life to Jesus because the Holy Spirit will remind you of certain things that you were doing that it's keeping you from that. And then the second one is if you haven't given your life to Jesus, what are the things that are stopping you? We'll have some people in this corner over here it's it's more than just an invitation this is we would love to walk we'd love to answer some of your questions about that so if is Jesus my lord and if not why let's pray father we come to you and we thank you for this time of remembrance we pray that your spirit would speak to us in these moments. We love you it's in Jesus name. Amen. So like I said earlier, the the scene where we do the last supper is found in in all of the gospels, but there's this this powerful moment where Jesus comes in and and he breaks some bread and He looks at his guys and he says, this is my body that's being broken for you. And they have no idea. They don't understand the gravity of what he is saying, but they will. Because in just a couple hours, his body will be broken for them. Only a few of them will see that moment. Because many of them will scatter in fear of their lives. And eventually... When we get to celebrate, what we celebrate next week in Easter, he comes back to life and he assembles them again in a very similar space. But today we stop and we remember the body that was broken. That it took a perfect sacrifice for us to find salvation. Father, we thank you the body that was broken. The body of Your Son who took our stripes, who took our lashes, who willingly, in His desire to please You, took our place where sin accuses us and separates us and and entraps us. Father, we remember that we are set free from that through the body of Your Son. So we stop, we remember, and we say thanks. Let me have to take the bread. The Bible says there's, there's no remission of sins without the spilling of blood. So in this scene, after Jesus breaks the bread and they partake the bread, He pours out some wine and He says, this is My blood. Which sounds really strange and out of the context of what Jesus is talking about. It's being poured out for you. So the Word says that the blood of Christ that cleanses us, washes us, as Isaiah would say, as white as snow. So Father, we thank You that You love us. We thank You that You sent Christ to be our perfect sacrifice. And, and with His blood, we are cleansed. And Father, I pray as we stop and remember today that that we would remember this in those moments when we're tempted to walk outside of Your love, outside of Your protection. Father, that we would remember that in these moments when when we hear the calls of distant lands and, and we want to wander into them, thinking we can have the best of both worlds. And Father, I pray You would help us remember in these moments that we are bought with a price and we are not our own. That it was your son who's brought us life. So, Father, we stop, we remember, and we say thank you.